0: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United
1: States, people should not be walking around with masks.
0: See the central narrative that it is we are americans while elections are sometimes messy this was a secure election the founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance and it's up to us to finish the job i tell you what we are in a truth emergency right now this is the end game It's Thursday, May 4th, 2023, the 834th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at imyourmoderator.substack.com. So let's get started with some quick updates on stories we discussed yesterday. This is from Reuters this morning. Larry Page may be served in Jeffrey Epstein case, judge rules. The US Virgin Islands may serve legal papers on Larry Page as part of its lawsuit against JP Morgan Chase over its ties to the late sex offender Jeffrey Epstein, a judge ruled on Thursday. The ruling by U.S. District Judge Jed Rakoff in federal court in Manhattan did not specify what information the U.S. Virgin Islands was seeking from Page, a co-founder of Google, which grew into a company called Alphabet Incorporated with Google as a unit. The U.S. Virgin Islands accuses J.P. Morgan of missing red flags about Epstein's abuse of women on Little St. James, a private island he owned there. The bank has said it should not be held liable for a former top executive's relationship with Epstein, who died by suicide in twenty nineteen in a Manhattan jail cell while awaiting trial on sex trafficking charges. And it's always worth noting that the claim that Jeffrey Epstein died in his cell by suicide is as yet unproven and almost certainly not true. But Reuters takes it as fact That is the claim in the central narrative. That is the official story. And Reuters is going to go with the official story. Larry Page involved with Jeffrey Epstein. So let's think about who we have just this week being reported by the mainstream media to have serious involvements with the convicted pedophile and human trafficker Jeffrey Epstein. We have the former deputy secretary of state under Obama, the current CIA director, William Burns. We have Obama's fixer, former White House counsel, current Goldman Sachs lawyer, Catherine Rumler. We have Ariane D. Rothschild, global banker of the infamous Rothschild family. We have a professor from Bard. We have the director of the Media Lab at MIT, we know about long-standing Harvard relationships. We have Noam Chomsky. We have Les Wexner himself, a massive pervert, the retail billionaire who owned Victoria's Secret, Abercrombie and Fitch, Bed Bath and Beyond, and other companies. We have Jess Staley of J.P. Morgan Chase, a very close relationship with Epstein. We have Reed Hoffman, the LinkedIn billionaire, who is a big-time Democrat donor, funding potentially Ron DeSantis' anti-Trump effort, if DeSantis actually does enter the fray. DeSantis, by the way, has still not signed that bill passed last week that would allow him to run without resigning as governor of Florida. Maybe a good sign on Ron DeSantis' political future, maybe he's going to be smart enough not to sign that. Reed Hoffman is also funding the ridiculous E. Jean Carroll rape trial against Donald Trump. And now we have Larry Page, one of the founders of Google. Now, if you understand what Google is, Google is basically the company that takes everyone's information and then uses it to manipulate the entire world and also feed all that information into the production of superhuman AI. We talked about Larry Page a couple of weeks ago, covering Tucker Carlson's interview of Elon Musk. Elon talked about how he and Larry Page had created open AI, and then it became clear that Larry Page wanted to create an AI tech god. He called Elon Musk a speciesist for prioritizing human life over the good of his potential AI tech god. Going through the Wall Street Journal article on Tuesday and discussing Ariane de Rothschild, the Journal article noted that Epstein had negotiated a $25 million contract with Rothschild for Epstein Southern Trust Corporation to provide risk analysis and the application and use of certain algorithms for the bank. And I said at the time, I bet we're going to hear more about those algorithms. And now we have Larry Page potentially involved with Jeffrey Epstein. And you got to wonder exactly what sort of project they were working on together. I know for sure that Larry Page's people are going to come out and say, We had almost no relationship whatsoever. It was just about finance. It was just about intellectual ideas. He was just connecting us with other people. So it doesn't matter that he was a convicted pedophile and human trafficker. Now, this part is speculation. But is it possible that Epstein was coordinating the use of this algorithm in a bunch of different domains? Because we know that an algorithm exists. There's at least one of them. Everybody knows that. All the tech platforms have some version of an algorithm that governs their feed and helps with censorship and leads their users to do virtually whatever the people who run the platforms want them to do. That's the purpose of the information weapon. That's the purpose of the algorithm. Is it possible that there is one overriding algorithm. And it seems like that is entirely possible. In fact, it seems like a lot of the evidence that we've seen over the last couple of years about how the censorship thing works, about how manipulations of that algorithm work, and what purposes that algorithm was there to serve. I've said many times before that Twitter is the greatest information weapon in the history of the world. And I believe that to be true, whatever that algorithm is behind Twitter, if that's linked in with other platforms, as I imagine it is, then that enables further censorship of that control mechanism of that information weapon. It can all come down from the same spot. And one would think that companies like Google would be intimately involved in the creation of that algorithm. Google certainly has search algorithms on Google and they basically have access to all of the information in the entire world. So of course, it is likely that they will manipulate that information. And one of the ways they do that is with algorithms. So this is one of those things you can't be sure about at this point. But my speculation, my perspective leads me to think there is a possibility that Jeffrey Epstein could be connecting all of these rich and powerful people, in a way that allows access to this algorithm and cooperation centered around the use of this algorithm. I would imagine that in the course of the next couple of years, we will see the downfall of everyone who was involved with the use of this algorithm. And I think that we are seeing signs pointing to how exactly that might happen, at least as far as public optics go. This is from Zero Hedge today. White House rejects Kremlin statement, U.S. undoubtedly behind drone attack on Kremlin. The Kremlin issued a formal accusation against the United States for helping Ukraine conduct yesterday's assassination attempt on President Vladimir Putin via drone strike. Attempts to disown this, both in Kyiv and Washington, are, of course, absolutely ridiculous. We know very well that decisions about such actions, about such terrorist attacks, are made not in Kiev, but in Washington, Putin's spokesman Dmitry Peskov said. Two drones have been caught on film flying into the Moscow Kremlin complex, within which President Putin has several offices and federal business is conducted. Peskov stressed that the US was undoubtedly behind the incident. According to Peskov's full statements in Reuters, he said the United States was undoubtedly behind the incident and added, again, without stating evidence, that Washington often selected both the targets for Ukraine to attack and the means to attack them. Now, you gotta love that Reuters is saying that there's no evidence. These are baseless claims, except the mainstream media has reported over and over again throughout the last 15 months that the U.S. and U.S. intelligence, that NATO intelligence, that MI6, was helping with the direction for targeting, targeting assassinations of Russian leaders, providing insight on strategic targets. We know that there are plenty of Western mercenaries who make up Ukraine's army when they're not Ukraine's own Nazi battalions and they're not Ukrainian citizens who are forced and conscripted to be cannon fodder. We know all the money is flowing in from the United States and the global West, and we know the arms are flowing in from the United States and the global West. So Reuters may be correct that there is no evidence at this point that we know of to indicate that the U.S. ordered this attempted strike or whatever this thing is, assuming it's not a false flag. But we do have the evidence of everything that's happened before up till now which certainly suggests that it could have been the U.S., the U.S. and its NATO allies are absolutely the most likely party responsible for this, assuming it wasn't a false flag. This is also often dictated from across the ocean. In Washington, they must clearly understand that we know this, Paskov said. While there were no casualties from Wednesday's drone strike against the Kremlin building, and with Russia saying it was a near miss— but that its anti-air measures deflected the strike, there does appear to be light damage, including burn marks, to a Kremlin dome. And if you've watched the video, you would have noticed that the multiple explosions, the two explosions of these supposed drones, were right above one of the domes of the Kremlin. The White House denial of involvement was firm, quick, and brief. White House National Security spokesman John Kirby told MSNBC Television that Russian claims were false and that Washington does not encourage or enable Ukraine to strike outside its borders. And that, too, is from the Reuters article that calls the claims of Washington involvement evidence free and baseless. So apparently Reuters thinks that everyone will just accept that Washington is fully in control of Ukraine to the point where Ukraine striking outside of Ukraine's borders is impossible. They just don't control Ukraine enough to have been themselves responsible for these little drone attacks. Makes total sense. If you live in a false reality and don't actually think about the things that you're reading, we are supposed to believe that. What the regime in America tells us about American military actions abroad is always true. They would never lie to us. They would never deceive us about a crucially important geopolitical issue, despite the fact that they have lied the entire time about every element of this Ukraine war, and despite the fact that. Just within the last couple of weeks, we had new evidence about the CIA's knowledge and involvement in 9-11. We covered an article on this podcast a couple of weeks ago from Russia Today News, that's RT.com. And I said at the time, we can just assume that this is potentially Russian propaganda. We're told we can't trust anything from Russian news ever. We have to trust our media. Our media is our media. See? See? If our media is propaganda, it's better than Russian propaganda because our propaganda is looking out for us. Well, that's obviously not true because our propaganda media is primarily responsible for the societal decay that we are experiencing on a daily basis in America. And that's widely known. They coordinate with other global media organizations. They coordinate with NGOs tasked to figure out how best to censor us and propagandize us. There is nothing special or even American about our media. So saying that Russian media is state media and state propaganda that cannot be believed. Well, that just doesn't work, particularly when they have the documentation to back up their claims, as they did a couple weeks ago in the 9-11 CIA involvement story. After RT put that article out, within the next few days, a range of other media outlets covered the exact same story in the exact same way. There was involvement. There was foreknowledge. And we don't have to know everything about the cause of 9-11 and the actors involved in 9-11 to know that it's abundantly clear that the story we were told simply was not true. We discussed the piece in RT a couple of weeks ago, and people like Glenn Beck are out there talking about it now this week. That's a pretty big, well-known media figure with a large platform who's reporting the same story. Is it all propaganda? Well, there's another interesting report in RT today. The headline is, Report Details CIA's Alleged Color Revolution Efforts. The CIA has been attempting to foment color revolutions around the world for decades, with its efforts making use of a vast arsenal of technical means. A report by two Chinese cybersecurity entities has claimed. So two Chinese cybersecurity entities, one Russian news outlet. None of the story could possibly be true. At least that's what our media would tell us and the people on Twitter would tell us. But let's just Take in the information and then we'll think about it in the future. We'll keep it in the back of our heads and we'll see if anyone else covers it. We'll see if more signs begin pointing to this being true because it's just information among other information. And it's always good to have more information to consider. The document was compiled by China's National Computer Virus Emergency Response Center and cybersecurity company 360 and was released by the Global Times on Thursday. The Global Times, a Chinese state media outlet. And once again, the label state media is always applied so that you won't believe it. And they assume that you won't notice that all of our mainstream media is global state media funded almost exclusively. By the wealthiest people in the world and their foundations, the philanthropists, the very best people who have ever been known to exist, transnational corporations linked directly to the World Economic Forum, and all of them fund media so that media will create in the minds of the public a false reality that allows those transnational corporations and global governing bodies to implement their agenda, to create the world they want, the world in which they can profit and consolidate more power. When that global state media is telling us someone else is dangerous state media, it's usually an indication that the someone else is probably saying the true thing. Back to the article in RT, talking about the release of this information from two cybersecurity companies in China As reported in the Global Times, it alleges that Washington's tech advantage allowed it to hold sway over institutions and individuals across the globe that use U.S.-made digital equipment or software. According to the report, the CIA has attempted to overthrow governments in at least 50 states with the 2014 Maidan coup in Ukraine, the 2014 Sunflower Revolution in Taiwan and the 2009 Green Revolution in Iran, allegedly among the most notable examples. And isn't it stunning the locations they choose? Two coups in the 2000s in Ukraine. One in 2004, one in 2014, a 2014 Sunflower Revolution in Taiwan, and the Green Revolution in Iran in 2009. Do we have conflicts, potential conflicts with all of those nations? Yes, we sure do. Well, why is that? Well, it's because you see the same dichotomy taking place everywhere. The global communist regime trying to take full control over these societies, these strategically critical countries, and the resistance to that as embodied by sovereign nations, the leaders of those sovereign nations and sovereign individuals. The situations in these countries are so bad because of the presence of the global regime and the overthrows of their government by the same global regime through these color revolutions. We see it over and over and over again. The same playbook used everywhere at different times, different places, slightly different details, but the same playbook meant to achieve the same goals. In many cases, America's technological edge granted Washington unprecedented possibilities to execute its plans for regime change, the report claims. It adds that the CIA relies on methods including 48 advanced cyber weapons. The cyber tools are said to involve encrypted network communication services such as U.S.-developed Tor technology to help protesters keep in touch with one another while steering clear of government surveillance. Another method is based on providing on-site command tools for mass protests, which use wireless communications. The report claims that the RAND Corporation, a U.S.-based military think tank, has developed a tech tool called swarming, which is used by activists to swiftly gather in one place. The protesters are also said to rely on U.S.-developed software named Riot which provides them with a secure and independent internet connection and is not based on traditional access methods. Meanwhile, a so-called anti-censorship system created directly by the U.S. State Department has received more than $30 million of investment, the report claims. Citing research from Chinese cybersecurity company 360, the Global Times alleged in March of last year that the U.S. National Security Agency, the NSA, was behind cyber attacks on 47 countries, while the Chinese government, research, and financial institutions were reportedly the main targets. The NSA was also said to have mounted operations against allies such as the UK and Germany. And let's stick with this sunflower revolution for just a minute here, because, of course, there's all sorts of reporting on this. And tech has been a focus of a lot of that reporting, this is from Wired. Taiwan's revolutionary hackers are forking the government. The subheadline is They overthrew the government. Now they have to work out how to govern. And the article is fairly long. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I want to give you a little taste of what this is all about. It kind of sounds a little like the Arab Spring, which was itself some form of color revolution that was marketed to us as the glory that could be provided in the world through social media platforms. Twitter created the Arab Spring. That's what we were told. We were told the Arab Spring was this great movement in the Middle East that would bring democracy, our democracy, to the Middle East. And we were supposed to praise Twitter and all of the brave activists. But let's go through a bit of this Wired article. News of the protests broke on a spring day in the middle of March 2014 when transgender civic hacker Audrey Tang was working at Social Text in Silicon Valley. Finally, the revolution in her home country was gaining pace and she yearned to be part of it. There was a knot in Tang's stomach as she hurriedly opened the staff internal chat tool, writing, I have to leave immediately because democracy needs me. Amazing, isn't it? As she ran to the parliament building, the streets of Taipei were bursting with protesters. And I'm assuming that she didn't run there from Silicon Valley, but you wouldn't know by the writing in this article. Mostly college students, they waved placards, reading, Taiwan is not for sale. A reference to the government's trade deal with China, which they feared would irreparably damage the economy, democratic system, and national security. Many wore yellow headbands and clutched sunflowers, a symbol of hope. And it's worth noting that sunflowers are also, at least on Twitter and some other social media sites, a symbol of what's happening in Ukraine. You will see all sorts of accounts with not only the little Ukraine flag emoji, but little sunflowers as well. Taiwan had already seen uprisings against government decisions, but this one was different. During the days that followed, unrest built, provoking violent clashes between protesters and police who fired water cannons in an attempt to disperse the crowds. Police, journalists, and protesters were injured. Students emerged from the crowd with bloodied faces and broken bones. Then on March 18th, around 9 p.m., 300 protesters climbed over the fence at the legislature and entered the building. Once inside, the students took over the Congress chamber, hanging banners over the rostrum and declaring their occupation a success. They occupied the legislative floor overnight, resisting multiple attempts to expel them. Over the next few days, they continued to camp both outside and in the legislature. But the government refused to concede to their demands. So on March 23rd, 2014, at 7.30 p.m., several hundred stormed the nearby executive Yuan. Dodging police shields and truncheons, they forced their way through security barricades and razor wire and vaulted the barriers at the three main entrances of the government building. During the chaos, some students fainted and others were injured by glass from the windows, but they were determined and it worked. After about half an hour, the police were outnumbered and the complex was almost entirely occupied. The sunflower movement had begun. Isn't that incredible? The very popular tech website Wired, one of the biggest online champions of the burgeoning technocracy, believes that it was a good thing that this crowd of fully organized and well-funded protesters, well-organized and well-funded by the global regime, by the way, injured police and other protesters, climbed fences, pushed through barricades, invaded the halls of their Congress and occupied their government buildings all in the name of democracy. Audrey Tang herself, that she had to leave, really he, because democracy needs her, really him. They're proud of all this. They're praising all of this. Imagine they wrote that way about the very violent insurrection on January 6th. It's amazing how these situations can be described as soon as you change perspective completely and embrace the false reality inside the false reality. All of these people are heroes and they're making a principled stand, even though when other people do it, it's an insurrection. And they tell us that this is the media that is not propaganda. This is not the state media. By the time Tang arrived at the protest, it was dark. She, he rushed to help protesters in the civic media set up broadband connections to broadcast their message. We had to improvise practically everything. There was no Internet connection. So to begin with, we had to bootstrap ourselves. I remember getting 350 meters of Ethernet cable to connect through the parliament building to the street outside. Let's go through just a bit more. During three weeks of sometimes violent and frightening clashes, police made several attempts to forcefully evict students from the government building. But finally, the occupation came to an end after legislative speaker Wang Jinping visited the parliament chamber and agreed to oversight of trade deals with China, including the one that had sparked the protest. Incredibly, the students had won their first battle. Taiwan's central government had lost all legitimacy But this was not the end of the Sunflower Movement. Once they left the occupied buildings, the protesters vowed to continue to spread their message across Taiwan. The government was defeated in the next election in 2016 with the Democrat Progressive Party's Tsai Ing-wen becoming the first female president in the nation's history, taking 56% of the vote. Isn't that incredible? Soon after, the Sunflower Movement's young revolutionaries were to become part of a digital project aiming to crowdsource opinion to inform government policy. The protests marked the first time they had been given a say in decision-making. They had won the campaign. Now they needed to learn how to govern. That is not winning a campaign. That is a color revolution. Are we to expect that their elections were legitimate? This is still the same president of Taiwan right now installed by way of color revolution. This is what the global regime does. Is it any surprise that the global regime is telling the world that we must protect Taiwan? And what is it we'll be protecting? Well, we'll be protecting Taiwan as it has been put in place by the global regime through color revolutions. What we are watching in the world right now is all of that being reversed around the world. And for some reason, people are concerned about that and not the fact that these countries were taken over by the global regime in the first place. So let's move now to the man who was installed as fake president in America through our own ongoing color revolution inflicted upon us, of course, by the global regime. This is America First Legal from yesterday. America First Legal releases more of Biden's vice presidential records revealing influence peddling and corruption between the White House and Hunter's private foreign business dealings. Today, America First Legal released its third tranche of emails from the National Archives in response to AFL's request and lawsuit for records from Joe Biden's time as vice president in the Obama administration and Hunter Biden's corrupt foreign business dealings. On March 3rd, 2023, AFL filed a Foreign Agents Registration Act complaint, that's FARA, against Hunter Biden based on information contained in the first set of documents obtained by AFL as a result of this litigation. These new emails provide further evidence that Hunter Biden's personal business activities commingled with Joe Biden's official business beginning in Vice President Biden's first year in the White House. These records include evidence that, one, Vice President Biden's closest advisors held confidential discussions about Hunter Biden's consulting firm, Seneca Global Advisors. Hunter's foreign travel and personal business and financial matters involved discussions with White House staff and other political appointees in the Obama administration. On the same day that a CCP official was addressing allegations of political retaliation, against an Anglo-Australian mining company, Hunter's business partner involved with CCP-backed mining deals was reaching out to the vice president's advisor about that CCP official's upcoming visit. The National Archives continues to unlawfully withhold records from the American people through improper and partisan applications of the Presidential Records Act. So they have absolute documented proof That Hunter Biden's business dealings and Vice President Joe Biden's political agenda were intimately linked and that Hunter Biden was not only involving Joe Biden in these schemes, but other people in the Obama administration. It's worth recalling that Joe Biden told the entire nation that he had no conversations whatsoever with his son about his business dealings. They had nothing to do with Joe Biden, according to Joe Biden, just not according to all of the evidence that proves there's no way that was possibly true. According to the National Archives, this set of emails was responsive to AFL's request for records regarding Hunter Biden and his corrupt foreign business dealings and records from Joe Biden's time as vice president in the Obama administration Because they included the company name Seneca Global Advisors, the consulting firm founded by Hunter Biden in 2008 that, quote, helped companies expand into global markets. On May 18th, 2009, Alan Hoffman, deputy chief of staff to the vice president, sent an email to Michael Mongan, deputy counsel to the vice president, with the subject line, Forward Ethiopia. The entire email was withheld because its release, quote, would disclose confidential advice between the president and his advisers or between such advisers. However, we know from Senators Grassley and Johnson's Joint Committee majority staff report that Hunter was a Secret Service protectee on an official trip to Ethiopia in June 2009. If Hunter's trip to Ethiopia only involved his personal business with Seneca Global Advisors, Biden's White House Advisors discussion about Hunter's trip would not have involved confidential advice to the vice president. And that is totally obvious and necessarily true just by simple logical deduction. While it is unclear exactly how much Hunter profited through his consulting firm by leveraging his access to foreign officials through his father's official position. Senator Grassley and Senator Johnson's supplemental report indicates that Hunter maintained an equity stake in Seneca Global Advisors, according to financial documents relating to CEFC, the CCP-affiliated company Hunter had agreed to advise. On May 22nd, 2009, Jennifer Pruitt emailed Hunter's Rosemont Seneca business partner, Eric Schwerin, and cc'd Hunter Biden. Nancy Massey, Rob Walker, the Biden family associate who received money from a Chinese energy company and subsequently transferred money to Biden family accounts. Nelson Peacock, a former Biden staffer serving as an assistant secretary of Homeland Security. Edward Pruitt, Hunter Biden's financial advisor involved with suspicious transactions flagged by the Treasury Department and Matt Fitzsimmons. And a few of those at least should be familiar names, particularly Eric Schwerin and Rob Walker, who appear throughout the Marco Polo report on the Biden laptop. The National Archives withheld the record in full because allegedly the record was a personal record that was misfiled, according to the Presidential Records Act. While Hunter's business activities with Seneca Global Advisors Rosemont Seneca, Rob Walker, and his financial advisor would seem personal in nature. The involvement of political appointees in the White House and the Department of Homeland Security infer that Hunter's activities were commingled with Vice President Biden's official business during the Obama administration. As such, the National Archives improperly withheld the record under the Presidential Records Act. Are you beginning to get the sense? Since August 8th of last year, the Mar-a-Lago raid that the National Archives and Records Administration might just be compromised themselves. On July 14th, 2009, Hunter Biden's business associate, Eric Schwerin, emailed Hunter and the vice president's deputy chief of staff, Alan Hoffman, at his personal email address about Mr. Gang's visit. The National Archives withheld the email in full because its release would, quote, disclose confidential advice between the president and his advisors or between such advisors. You see, there's always a good reason for the National Archives to hide these things, and it's not because they're helping prior administrations cover up their political corruption. On that day, China Foreign Ministry spokesperson Qin Gang spoke at a press conference addressing China's arrest of employees of Rio Tinto, the world's second largest metals and mining corporation for alleged bribery and espionage. Because the National Archives withheld the email in full, it is unclear what was communicated between Hunter's private business associate and his father's White House staff and whether it was related to the topic addressed by Mr. Gang. However, According to the New York Times, Hunter Biden's CCP-backed investment fund, Bohai Harvest RST, was heavily involved with financing China's acquisition of mining interests around the world, presumably in competition with Rio Tinto. According to documents obtained by the House Oversight Committee, Eric Schwerin was the president of the since-dissolved investment fund, Rosemont Seneca Partners which according to Senators Grassley and Johnson's Joint Committee Majority Staff report, was merged with CCP-linked firm Bohai Capital to form BHR. So on the same day that a CCP official was addressing allegations of political retaliation against Rio Tinto, Hunter's business partner involved with CCP-backed mining deals was reaching out to Vice President Biden's deputy chief of staff about that CCP official's Upcoming visit. No evidence, baseless claims. These are all conspiracy theories. Raising further concern, by applying a P5 exemption to the record, the National Archives indicates that it contains, quote, confidential advice between the president and his advisors or between such advisors. If the National Archives is asserting that Eric Schwerin was an official advisor to Vice President Biden, that relationship has not been previously disclosed and raises the specter of serious ethics violations stemming from the conflict of interest. Alternatively, this is just another example of the National Archives unlawfully withholding a record from the American public through an improper application of the Presidential Records Act. The National Archives continues to abuse the Presidential Records Act to unlawfully conceal these emails and the evidence of the Biden family's corruption while simultaneously weaponizing it against a political opponent. And AFL intends to challenge this improper concealment in court. At the same time, AFL urges Congress to conduct aggressive oversight to fully uncover Joe Biden's cynical exploitation of his office to advance his family's business interests. And that is not all of the Biden crime family's political corruption story that we got yesterday. Senator Chuck Grassley and Representative James Comer sent a letter yesterday to Attorney General Merrick Garland and the director of the FBI, Christopher Wray. The letter reads, we have received legally protected and highly credible, unclassified whistleblower disclosures. Based on those disclosures, it has come to our attention that the Department of Justice and the FBI possess an unclassified FD 1023 form that describes an alleged criminal scheme involving then-Vice President Biden and a foreign national relating to the exchange of money for policy decisions. It has been alleged that the document includes a precise description of how the alleged criminal scheme was employed as well as its purpose. How much more direct evidence could you possibly want? Yes, we need to see the document and see exactly what it outlines. But the idea that the document doesn't exist or they're lying about what's in the document is a little hard to believe. They're saying they have direct proof and the outline of an agreement for a quid pro quo, exchanging political favors for money with a foreign national. Based on the alleged specificity within the document, it would appear that the DOJ and the FBI have enough information to determine the truth and accuracy of the information contained within it. However, it remains unclear what steps, if any, were taken to investigate the matter. The significant public interest in assessing the FBI's response to this information, as well as growing concern about the DOJ and the FBI's track record of allowing political bias to infect their decision-making process... Necessitate exacting congressional oversight. The DOJ and the FBI appear to have valuable, verifiable information that you have failed to disclose to the American people. Therefore, Congress will proceed to conduct an independent and objective review of this matter, free from those agencies' influence. Transparency brings accountability. Here's Representative Scott Perry reacting to this new bombshell revelation. Potentially. Gotta say potentially. I've been covering this stuff on this show for two and a half years now. And honestly, every single one of the stories should be enough to convince a rationally thinking American citizen that something really bad is going on with the fake president and his family. But the truth is, they don't consider it and they don't have to consider it because everyone they talk to will get the same answer no matter what. They'll just immediately call it a conspiracy theory and then tell you how Donald Trump must be worse in some way. Oh, Trump University, Trump stakes, Trump slept with Stormy Daniels. Trump raped E. Jean Carroll. Trump took documents to Mar-a-Lago. None of the stories are true. They can't describe any of the details. They can't describe what impact any of that would have had on Trump's ability to be president. They just know that all that stuff has to be true about Trump because they're in a hate movement. And if they realize that none of that stuff is true and it's actually all true about Joe Biden, well, then the whole world collapses. All of this seems to be picking up steam, but who knows how long it will take. It could be that there's an indictment on Hunter Biden today or next week, but it could be next month and it could be next year because we know by now how long this stuff takes. Anyway, Scott Perry.
1: If Joe Biden was tailoring policy in any way to help his business interests, how serious a matter would that be for Congress, for impeachment, for the American public? it doesn 't get much more serious than that john that is uh, that that is the you know the the top diplomat, the President of the United States doing the bidding of foreign countries or foreign entities uh, on the backs of American policy and American taxpayers and our sovereignty. It is as serious as it gets
0: now again, we have to wait for the details about what this claim really is and what the evidence backing it up really is, but we have a whistleblower, in a position to know, and we have documentary evidence, according to Senator Grassley and James Comer and Scott Perry and others. And we are told that it shows direct evidence of Joe Biden's involvement in a criminal scheme to sell American interests out for money from foreign nationals while he was vice president. We already know he's stolen an election and we already know that he is one of the most corrupt politicians in American history. His history of corruption spans five decades. He was mentored in politics by a Klansman. He is one of the worst people ever in American government. And we are still forced to pretend when around the villagers that Joe Biden is a return to decency. Joe Biden is. Is what it means to have the adults back in the room. Now, National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby, who goes in the White House press briefing room when Karine Jean-Pierre is not up to the task of handling serious subjects with the press, he was asked about this today. John, I've got a question about the House Oversight Committee subpoena that was issued yesterday. Um, it's seeking an FBI document from 2020 that, uh, quote, describes an alleged criminal scheme involving then-Vice President Biden and a foreign national
1: relating to the exchange of money for policy decision- decisions. Uh, what, what's the White House's response to this serious corruption allegation? I'm going to have
0: to refer you to the Justice Department on that.
1: I have nothing for you on that today. No. Do you know, do you know what, this is, what country this pertains to or what policy decision? I have nothing for you, sir. I'm going to have to refer you to the Justice Department.
0: You have to love that they don't even bother disputing the claims anymore. They just say you're going to have to ask someone else that question. And the news of this went pretty wide yesterday in the afternoon. CNN and other mainstream propaganda outlets were forced to report on it. And of course, they always include statements from the White House and statements from Democrats claiming, pretending that all of it is a conspiracy theory. None of it could possibly be true. This is White House spokesman for investigations, Ian Sams. He says for going on five years now, Republicans in Congress have been lobbying unfounded politically motivated attacks against POTUS without offering evidence for their claims or evidence of decisions influenced by anything other than U.S. interests. They prefer trafficking in innuendo. And I'm kind of amazed that they always pursue this strategy, just pretending that the thing isn't true, because, of course, the thing is true and everybody's going to know it's true in a week. They're just seeding this idea among whoever is still reading CNN articles and reading this guy's tweets that the story probably isn't true. They just need some reason to doubt it. And so then when the story actually comes out and it is true, they'll still doubt it they'll repeat what they were just told, that this has been going on for five years and there's never any evidence and so it's never going to come to anything. It's just a witch hunt. Ranking Democratic member of the House Oversight Committee, Friar Cuck himself, Jamie Raskin of Maryland, described the allegations as recycling unsubstantiated claims floated by Senate Republicans. Perhaps he hasn't heard about the whistleblower or the document. He says, given Chair Comer's commitment to dismantle the FBI, it's no surprise that he would rely on these unverified tips to attack President Biden in one more baseless partisan stunt. And Jamie Raskin, Friar Cuck himself, just proposed a completely baseless conspiracy theory where Comer and Grassley have invented this document and this whistleblower in an elaborate conspiracy to dismantle the FBI. But it's okay, because they're doing it. And when they do it, it aligns with the official story and with the central narrative. And therefore, it cannot be a conspiracy theory. So let's check in with the man who was actually elected to be president in 2020 and has not sold out American interests to our foreign adversaries, for decades in politics, Donald Trump. He has been doing quite a few interviews recently. Part of that is that he's released a book with letters from prominent people that were sent to him before he ever entered politics, back when they all liked him and they needed his money. And he's told some really great stories about that book. He's over in Scotland this week visiting one of his golf courses he sat down yesterday for a half an hour interview with Nigel Farage and on Monday of next week Donald Trump is doing a CNN town hall in New Hampshire it is amazing that CNN is putting him on and giving him time to actually make his case before the American people who knows how this came to be it's going to be really interesting to see it but the people on MSNBC are absolutely freaking out over this.
1: The idea that CNN would give him basically a town hall, I think, is a dangerous one. I mean, to quote uh, Taylor Swift on TikTok, this is not your father's Republican Party. Um, this is a guy who's been indicted already, who's stolen highly sensitive documents and kept them and who, of course, fomented an insurrection on January 6th. Then it's a bit surreal for me to think that CNN in a span of one month, is going to flip its coverage from covering the criminal arraignment of Donald Trump to giving this guy a town hall.
0: So that was Neil Katyal. He is a Washington lawyer. He's a professor of national security law at Georgetown, and he was the acting solicitor general of the United States for a year under the Obama administration. And now he's on MSNBC quoting Taylor Swift. Just so everybody knows that this is the opinion of really hip people who know what's going on. It's not your father's Republican Party. No, this Republican Party is very, very dangerous. And even though Donald Trump is president, was president, and is running for president, Katyal believes that anyone allowing him to speak to the people is doing something dangerous. It is dangerous to give Donald Trump, the probably the most popular and famous person in the world, a platform. Why is he so scared of what Donald Trump might have to say? Well, part of it's definitely because the legal situation surrounding the Bidens gets worse by the day. While Trump said in his interview with Nigel Farage yesterday that he is not the least bit concerned about any of the legal issues they're discussing surrounding Donald Trump. Not the special counsel investigations, not the thing in Georgia, not the thing in New York, not the E. Jean Carroll rape trial. None of it. Donald Trump is not worried about any of that because none of it is real. And people like Katyal don't want Donald Trump to say that to the nation. If people listen to that, who knows what they might come away thinking that the media might have lied to them, that the walls might not be closing in. Well, Title 42 is going away. We're about to have a massive immigration crisis. The news channels are beginning to show that. Streets are flooded and overwhelmed in border towns. People are just being released into the country. And it's expected to get much, much worse. Donald Trump put out a statement on the current immigration situation.
1: Under my leadership, we had the most secure border in U.S. history by far. We replaced catch and release with detain and deport. One of my most successful policies was Title 42, which allowed for instant expulsion of any illegal alien who crossed our borders. Anybody. If they were bad, we got them out. We got them out fast. Those who trespassed into our country could be immediately sent back to the place from which they came. Every would-be illegal border crosser knew that with Donald Trump in the White House, Our border was closed. It was absolutely closed. And they had no chance of getting in, and therefore they didn't come. When Joe Biden came into office, he terminated every successful border policy that was put into place, including remain in Mexico, one of the best of them all, deliberately throwing open the borders and instituting catch and release and resettling untold millions and millions of illegal aliens into the United States. They're now your neighbors. Congratulations. Now, Joe Biden is preparing to remove the last remnants of my Title 42 policy just a few weeks from now, wiping out the few remaining shreds of our southern border. Hundreds of thousands of people will pour in that day. And the judge already said that's what's going to happen. This will mean complete and total mayhem and utter lawlessness and unlimited numbers of fraudulent asylum seekers flood into the United States unchecked. They are unchecked. Nobody has any idea where they come from. They don't know if they're healthy, if they're sick, if they're insane, or if they're coming from prisons. Already tens of thousands of illegal aliens have massed on the Mexican side of the border. They're getting ready to storm across the moment Title 42, which is so important, is officially gone. Can you believe they're getting rid of it? And when that happens, countless more will charge in from all over the world. They're coming from all over the world. And some of the states, like California, are saying, come in and we give you free health care, free education. People hear that from other countries. They say, well, that sounds good to me. And they're making a mass charge toward our border. It's absolute lunacy. It will be a mass resettlement of millions and millions of illegal aliens into your communities, and the invasion will be aided, abetted, and facilitated by the Biden administrations. Every step of the way, every path they take will be made easier by Biden. Congress should move immediately to choke off and terminate all funding for catch and release. We should ban Joe Biden and the communists and the administration from using a single federal taxpayer dollar to set loose illegal aliens into the United States. Now is the time we have to fight to make sure our country survives because our country cannot take two more years of this invasion. And when I take the oath of office on January 20th, 2025, we will immediately begin the process of fully securing the border and removing the illegal aliens Joe Biden is unlawfully allowed to break into our country. Thank you very much.
0: So you have to assume Donald Trump will be addressing that next week in the CNN town hall with Title 42 set to expire and an expected rush of potentially half a million illegal aliens into this country as part of the slave trade that Joe Biden has been facilitating with global governing bodies, NGOs, and the drug cartels south of the border. I have said pretty often that if you fix election fraud, you fix everything, all the woke issues begin to go away because the truth is they're not majority issues. And in free and fair elections, no one would be electing people to put those policies in place. But since the uniparty right establishment does not care about the legitimacy of our elections and is happy to cover up stolen elections in order to keep Donald Trump out of power, many of these issues remain problems. And Con Inc Media, the mouthpieces of the uniparty right, tell everybody about how the liberals are hypocrites. It's the uniparty left that's a problem. We're going to find all of these complicated and convoluted ways to fix the problem around the edges in all these different towns and states. And it's good that there is local action directed at these problems. Don't get me wrong. But the idea that these are the people out there fixing all these problems, even though they've allowed them to progress unhindered for decades now is preposterous, especially while choosing to ignore everything else. We are told repeatedly by those pushing for a candidacy of Ron DeSantis that Ron DeSantis is the one to fix all of the problems with the woke agenda, and especially as it applies to schools. Well, have you ever heard Ron DeSantis take on the issue this comprehensively? Here's Donald Trump.
1: For many years, tuition costs at colleges and universities have been exploding, and I mean absolutely exploding, while academics have been obsessed with indoctrinating America's youth. The time has come to reclaim our once great educational institutions from the radical left, and we will do that. Our secret weapon will be the college accreditation system. It's called accreditation for a reason. The accreditors are supposed to ensure that schools are not ripping off students and taxpayers, but they have failed totally. When I return to the White House, I will fire the radical left accreditors that have allowed our colleges to become dominated by Marxists, maniacs, and lunatics. We will then accept applications for new accreditors who will impose real standards on colleges once again and once and for all. These standards will include defending the American tradition and Western civilization, protecting free speech, eliminating wasteful administrative positions that drive up costs incredibly, removing all Marxist diversity, equity, and inclusion bureaucrats, offering options for accelerated and low-cost degrees, providing meaningful job placement and career services, and implementing college entrance and exit exams to prove that students are actually learning and getting their money's worth. Furthermore, I will direct the Department of Justice to pursue federal civil rights cases against schools that continue to engage in racial discrimination and schools that persist in explicit, unlawful discrimination under the guise of equity will not only have their endowments taxed, But through budget reconciliation, I will advance a measure to have them fined up to the entire amount of their endowment. A portion of the seized funds will then be used as restitution for victims of these illegal and unjust policies, policies that hurt our country so badly. Colleges have gotten hundreds of billions of dollars from hardworking taxpayers, and now we are going to get this anti-American insanity out of our institutions once and for all. We are going to have real education in America. Thank you.
0: Now, those are system-oriented solutions well within his power. The government provides a lot of funding to these universities, and that's premised on the accreditation of these universities, If that's taken away based on the fact that these universities have implemented all of these anti-American programs truly geared on Marxist indoctrination rather than education, well, that money goes away. He's going to be able to claw back their endowments. That's everything to these universities. Without the accreditation, without the endowments, what do they have? And Trump's not doing something radical here. He's doing what the system allows him to do. He's using the system the way it was set up. It was set up for certain reasons to guarantee the quality of the education in these accredited universities. These are presidential level solutions that can apply nationwide. This is how you begin to fix things with one fell swoop rather than spending years and years of research and argument creating all sorts of new groups and think tanks who then get all the funding because they're going to fix the problems and somehow the problems never get fixed. Occasionally, they get slightly improved around the margins, but nothing ever really changes and the communists figure out ways to work around them and continue to march forward. This is the sort of thing that actually stops that. That is why Donald Trump is always the best solution in all of these issues because he's the only one that actually looks at them that way. Everyone else, including Ron DeSantis, if what's happening now can be believed, proposes solutions that are always within the bounds of what the system is prepared to accept. That is the difference between everyone else and Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not concerned about what the system is prepared to accept. He is concerned about what works is moral and complies with constitutional law. And people complain that Donald Trump didn't finish the job in his first term. They always forget about the fact that there were like seven or maybe 10 or maybe 15 different concurrent coups going on at the same time to undermine not only Donald Trump's legitimacy in office, but his power to get the job done. And these people recast Donald Trump for these reasons. As a failure, somehow. And he didn't stay in office as if Donald Trump stole the election from himself and gave it to Joe Biden. And then they say, well, if that is true, then Donald Trump should have done whatever necessary to stay in office. Except that's not Donald Trump's ultimate goal. And that's not the goal of the America First movement. The goal is to make America great, not create a civil war so that one man can stay in office. And Donald Trump, of course, has continued to pursue that agenda while exercising the level of control he is exercising throughout the world. Joe Biden is not looked at as the leader of America by foreign leaders. He's not taken seriously at all around the world. The only reason he's taken seriously in America is because the uniparty right has covered up the steel. And people then go on and blame Donald Trump for subverting Donald Trump. He should have known better with all those people he put around himself, except it was the uniparty right putting those people in front of him and saying, hey, you got to take these people. Donald Trump brought those people in. He used them. He exposed them. And now none of them will ever be part of any of this ever again that's a good thing. We had to know who the enemies were. And now Donald Trump knows it. Here's what he had to say on Flashpoint.
1: I know the good, the weak. I know the strong. I know the rhinos who can be very dangerous, by the way, and in a way more dangerous than Democrats because you don't know where they're coming from. We got some real bad ones. But I know them all. I know, I know the whole thing. And I survived a system that was very corrupt with the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax and the impeachment hoax over a phone call, over a perfect phone call. Think of it, over a perfect phone call. Uh, All of this stuff, the Mueller report, that was another witch hunt where I had 18 Trump-hating, Republican-hating Democrats investigating me. The Mueller report, I mean, think of it. And the end result, even with that, was no collusion, okay? Think of that one, no collusion. So I know the people now so well Before I had to rely on others to give me advice as to who we would put in certain positions that were very important positions. I now know the people so well. I know them better than anybody. I know the fighters. I know the strong ones, the good ones. And I know the bad ones too. So we had some fantastic people. Look. Biggest tax cuts in history, biggest regulation cuts in history. I rebuilt the military. Sadly, uh, Afghanistan got $85 billion right. worth of it, if you can, nobody can even believe that. But uh, Space Force, uh, right to try, such a big thing. I, I guarantee it's big for the Thank people that are you. watching your show and That's the right. people that uh, believe so much in you, where we have space age, we have things, that, we have the greatest labs in the world, the greatest doctors in the world, and we have things that won't be approved for another two or three years but people are sick and if we could use them and for 58 years they've tried to do it they can it's actually more complicated than it sounds cuz the doctors don't want it the That's pharmaceutical right. companies don't want it you know they don't want it on their records uh, the right. insurance companies don't want it so anyway i worked it out so everyone's happy and now thousands of people are being saved where they were, or would would have died but they're being saved by very very uh, into the future uh, medicines and and sure. lots of things and we're very very proud of that but I mean thousands and thousands of people are being said we did a lot and uh, a lot of people think we did, we've done as much as anybody and now we want to go back and finish the job
0: so the thing is there really are only two choices There is the vision of the world presented by the global regime and embodied in America by the illegitimate president, Joe Biden. And there is the option to make America great again, the America First movement embodied by Donald Trump. We had four years of that. If the media hadn't been out there attacking him every day, if they weren't running seven or 10 or 15 concurrent coups to undermine his presidency, No one would even doubt what that man was able to achieve. And since then, since he's gone away for a little while, the country is a wreck. All the people that blamed everything on Donald Trump have not gotten happier with this new fake president in place. Society's not better for it. All the problems they care about have not been solved. In fact, they've all gotten much worse. The financial system is collapsing. The dollar is collapsing worldwide. We're not going to be the global reserve currency any longer. We have the failed withdrawal from Afghanistan. We have an absolute abomination happening in Ukraine and the lead up to another one of those in Taiwan with a fake president who is obviously compromised by our foreign adversaries. We have immigration exploding. We have cultural and other Marxism pervasive throughout our country. They mandated vaccines. They want vaccine passports. They're trying to implement a central bank digital currency. They propagandize us. They censor us. They weaponize the system of justice against us. And yet we're told that somehow, to some people, that's still popular. But it's not popular. Donald Trump won in 2020. Donald Trump had the majority in 2020. There is no reason to believe that 27 million new Americans entered our electoral process and showed up to vote for Joe Biden. And that's what would have been required to actually create that national popular vote, which is not a real thing. Why do they want it to be a real thing? Well, because they can steal elections with such vast margins in the blue states. To create the illusion of that type of consensus, no one is forced to believe that. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you don't like Donald Trump. It doesn't matter if you think Ron DeSantis is better spoken and that he doesn't upset people as much. They told the country that Mitt Romney was going to put black people back in chains Joe Biden told the country that they can make those people hate absolutely anyone. You don't think they can make those people hate Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is not that skilled a politician on his feet. He really isn't. That's becoming obvious to everyone throughout this process. And again, Ron DeSantis might be just fine. He might make his way through. And in 2028, if he's the guy, I'll be happy to support him because that will have required him to do a lot of things between now and then. And maybe he does them. But it doesn't matter if you like Donald Trump. It doesn't matter if you like Ron DeSantis better. It doesn't even matter if you think Ron DeSantis did marginally better on certain issues. It doesn't matter if you think Ron DeSantis is a better man. None of that matters. All that matters is Donald Trump is the one who can be trusted to take on the regime. And Donald Trump won in 2020. And I will leave you with this. I wrote this on Twitter yesterday. I keep trying to think of anything more dishonorable than knowing the nation has been usurped and then supporting someone other than the person who was rightfully elected. It is literally supporting the usurpation and the regime of the usurper. There is absolutely no way around this, and there really isn't. There is no way around this. They've done it in a time of war, and no one is worse than the uniparty right personalities pretending they're doing it to win. Their victory would cement the usurpation for generations if they were actually somehow make Ron DeSantis the nominee and then win Ron DeSantis the presidency, that is not a victory for America. Not in this election system. If the election system was fixed first and then Ron DeSantis was the guy and Ron DeSantis won, well, fine. But claiming that Ron is the only one who can win in a rigged system and then pretending that winning inside a rigged system with someone the regime allows to win is a win for America, well, that's one of the most anti-American things I can imagine that would cement the regime system in place forever, potentially. But back to the post, considering they're getting paid by the usurping regime, it sounds a lot like treason, doesn't it? And I'm talking about the media figures in the uniparty right. All of the people at, for instance, the Daily Wire or commentary or national review, all of the influencers online who are all in for Ron DeSantis. We are in a time of war and they are supporting someone other than the rightful winner of elections in our country, and they're being paid to do it. They are literally supporting the usurping regime. They have spent two and a half years arguing for the legitimacy of the man running the most blatantly obvious criminal enterprise in the history of American politics. They chose this because they hated Trump and hated average Americans. This isn't the sort of thing everyone can just move on from. These people have committed themselves to this. I am amazed that anyone even takes them seriously anymore. They are not on our side. They are destroying Ron DeSantis as a politician again, Hopefully, Ron DeSantis will veto that bill in Florida that destroys election integrity and allows him to run without resigning. But if it doesn't, this is what you're seeing. This is the uniparty right. All the regime's assets that have pretended for so long to be aligned with America First interests, all of them are being exposed. All of it comes right to the surface. You can see what it is, it must be rejected. There is only one choice. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do. By signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.CancelCouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree Linktree.com slash I'mYourModerator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator.